0: I encourage you to take out your Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And this week we're going to talk about the theology of death. And some say, wow, that's a pretty morbid subject. I've had people ask me, why are you preaching on that this week? And I've just felt impressed by God. A few months ago, probably six, eight months ago, I read an article about COVID and its effect on our society's view of dying, how we look at death and also as Christians how we view death now because we begin to look at the statistics, we look at the graphs, over 800,000 people supposedly have died of COVID according to current statistics. And sometimes we look at those statistics, not people. But I'm sure for many of us in this room, death is a reality, we have people around us. I've known more people probably in the last year personally that have passed on than I have in the previous five years. And so, I think it's important for us to understand what does the Bible say about death? Woody Allen, the actor, producer said this, I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> don't we all wish that, right? And I like a little book I bought down at Dallas Theological Seminary when I was visiting my son. It says, remember that you will die, a slave whispering to the ear of a victorious Roman general as he returned home in triumphal Recession. Why is it in our society do we trivialize death? Well, first of all, we deny it. We don't plan to die. Dr. Ben Mitchell is a leading Southern Baptist bioethicist, and recently shared that if you ask the average person out in society how they would like to die, they would like to die immediately, like a heart attack or whatever. And until recent times, Christians aimed for a holy death and had teachings on what to do on their deathbed to prepare their family and prepare themselves to meet their maker. But we're desensitized to death, if we're honest. Think about it as we look at video games. Our favorite person in a video game is killed and then we push reset and guess what? That same character's back and ready to go. We see actors killed in movies and then they're in another movie uh, months later. And so we get desensitized to death in our culture. Some compartmentalize their lives and they realize that death is just a small part of their thinking. Some families are not even having funerals anymore or celebrations of life. And for me that's a difficult thing because I think it prevents giving closure to friends and family and loved ones. A focal point to remember that life if that's not done then we still have an open-ended grieving process. But we don't like to be confronted with death, so we deny it. Second of all, distraction. We're so wrapped up with life in the here and now that we don't take time to process the idea of death or even the death of those loved ones and friends. You know, every person who died is a name, is a person, is a family member. I think about my close friend, Mark McCorkle, passed away around Thanksgiving. You think of Ken Rolfs, Jim Samelon, Jerry Kilpatrick. You know, the list goes on and on. Steve Belk, in recent times, have passed away. And these are people that we interacted with, that we had relationships with. And when someone who's close to you dies, how much time do you spend reflecting on their lives? And then reaching out to the family the week or two after the funeral, after everybody's gone back to their normal routines, and there's that person still dealing with the grieving process. I like the idea Trappist Monk had for his uh, community. He shares how important it is to keep people mindful of death. When someone dies, the grave for the next person in the family is dug and left open until that member dies. And then when that member dies, they bury him and they dig the next grave and leave it open so that as people go by the cemetery, they're reminded of their mortality. That's a healthy way sometimes to remind people that death is a real part of our lives to not take some time occasionally to think about the inevitability of death is a lose part of perspective of our reality. So we deny it. We are distracted, but thirdly, we medicalize it. We medicalize death. You see death is a medical problem that one day will be fixed. Some people believe medical technology definitely has lengthened life expectancy. Dr. Gordy Rose challenged Christian thinkers at an Anglican seminary not to think of immortality in traditional terms. He said, one day your brain waves will be able to be uploaded to a computer for future use. He's predicting your brain and its functions will continue at some point in the future. And Dr. Rose is a pioneer in the field of quantum computing and artificial intelligence. That's why people will spend tons of money on cryogenics where they freeze your body or at least your head so that hoping down the road some decades later that they can bring this person back to life somehow, some way. That's why there's so much experimenting with cloning as well. So we tend to look sometimes at death as a failure of medical technology and techniques, but death most often occurs in the hospital, but in our recent times, but it used to be that people died at home with their families. With COVID, it has meant some people have sadly died alone in the hospital. What it often takes to wake us up to our mortality is when we're sitting in a funeral home and we're seeing the casket or the cremated remains of our loved one or our friend. Matthew chapter seven, take your Bible if you haven't already opened there. Matthew chapter seven for a scripture reading. Verses 13 through 14. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And may God have his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. I want to look today, first of all, in your outline, what the Bible says about the reality of death from God's vantage point, and then we're going to talk about, as Christ followers, in the 21st century, how we should view death. First of all, what does the Bible say about the reality of death? Well... Here's something that everybody knows, but death is certain for all, but why? Because of the fall of man. Death is certain for all because of the fall of man. Here's a sobering verse of scripture for us to think about in the back of our minds on a daily basis, Hebrews 9:27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. Every one of us on planet Earth, when we die or will die, we're gonna face accounting of our lives. But where did death come from? Why did God allow death to come upon his human creation? God's desire and plan for creation was for man to live eternally in relationship with God, with God in a paradise-like place here on planet earth. But sin came into the world and one of the consequences of sin was physical and spiritual death. Notice what God said to Adam as one of the consequences, or some of the consequences of sin in Genesis 3. And to Adam God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The consequence of sin. And Austin led us in that verse for catechism. It goes right along with this in Romans 5:12. It says in the New Testament, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death is inevitable. of all men and women will face this reality. Now I'm not talking about us as Christians walking around with this sad attitude of morbidity all the time, but we know that God knows the number of our days and they're known by God even before we were born. And so it makes us think about how we live life when we're gonna be facing that day when we're gonna give an account for our lives. In Psalm 139.16 we shared in the last couple of weeks, sanctity of life, it says your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book, were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. God knows the day you're gonna be born, God knows the moment and the day you're gonna die, and he knows everything before and he knows everything after. You see, we need to have a balanced view of death and a healthy respect for it. In James chapter four, James, I like James, he was writing your face as he wrote his book He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say about your life, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Earlier in that same book of James, he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower fails and its beauty perishes, so also the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Guess what? Death levels the playing field. Doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you are the most powerful man in the world, or whether you're the lowliest custodian somewhere, Death levels the playing field. So how can we respond to the fact that we're mortal? We can learn from those who face death after a time of experience and learn from them. Those who lived a lifetime of experience and what they've gone through as they approach death, we can learn from them. The prophet Nostradamus predicted tomorrow at sunrise I shall no longer be here and he was right. Richard B. Mellon, who's a multimillionaire. At one time, as the president of Alcoa, he and his brother Andrew had a t- game of tag going for over seven decades, and when Richard was on his deathbed, he called his brother Andrew over and said, guess what, you're it for the last time, and Andrew remained it for four more years until he died. Leonardo da Vinci was overly modest, saying, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have, and someone said, the Mona Lisa isn't good enough? The murderer, James W. Rogers, was put in front of a firing squad in Utah, and he asked, what would be his last request? And the smart aleck he was, he says, I want a bulletproof vest. Martin Luther, thinking of religious leaders, on his deathbed, his last words were, our God is the God from whom cometh salvation. God is the Lord by whom we escape death. John Knox, that famous Scottish preacher said, live in Christ. Live in Christ and the flesh need not fear death. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church said, the best of all is, God is with us, farewell, farewell. And his brother Charles Wesley who wrote many beloved hymns Said, I shall be satisfied with thy likeness. Satisfied, satisfied, and he breathed his last breath. What would you and I say at our deathbed if you had the time and you knew you were dying? The psalmist says in Psalm 90, talking about God who considers the power of his anger and your wrath according to the fear of you, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. May we number our days. May we make the best of those things. Because none of us, when we wake up in the morning, know whether this is the last day on planet earth for us or not. Solomon, who was the wisest king in the world at the time, said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, after he lived a life of wealth and power and just a partying lifestyle for most of it, he summed it up like this in Ecclesiastes 12 The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Solomon had it right. Good advice as we live in our mortality. And here's another point. Death brings destruction to those who follow the popular paths of this world. Death brings destruction to those who follow the popular paths of this world. In Matthew 7 that we just read, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. And if we follow the teachings of God according to the Old Testament, you will always have life, provision, protection, and blessing if we heed the words of God. We who are followers of the narrow way, Christ followers, the believers in Christ, are committed to pleasing our Heavenly Father, even if it means we offend people here on earth. Those that merely seek earth's acclaim and all that the world possesses to the exclusion of God will be sadly disappointed. Take your Bible, turn over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. There's a saying in our society, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And it comes from this parable. It comes from the parable of the rich man. And that is a lot of what people say in our society today. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The sad reality about death is that more people will be in hell than in heaven. Think about that. There'll be more people in hell than in heaven. In Proverbs chapter 14, 12, and then for emphasis, it's shared again in 1625 of the same book, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. When you see something repeated in the Bible, it's for emphasis. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. The question before us is as we lean our ladder of life against the building that we're trying to get on top of, as we climb this ladder of success and experience and knowledge, when we get to the top or we get the end of our life, are we sure that we've leaned it against the right building? Is the foundation built on Jesus Christ himself as we live our lives? The good news is that we will have a loving and faithful God who will forgive us of our sins and the failures that we've had in our life. He can bring beauty from ashes when we make mistakes. He can give you a new start at any time in your life. That's why you and I, we have to remain faithful in our walk with Christ and endure to the end, to the very end, living for Christ. And as we just sang in that last song before the message, death was overcome by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death was arrested. This is the most important point that we could look at this morning. Death was overcome by the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Take your Bible, turn over to 1 Corinthians 15, which is the resurrection chapter. And Paul emphasizes through that lengthy chapter, the importance and the power of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, you and I could fold up our Bibles and throw them in a dumpster and go home because if Jesus didn't physically rise from the dead, we would have no hope beyond this life. First Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 50. Paul said, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed." Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But verse 57, thank God for that verse, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at that and we think about that, the power that you and I, we can't earn our way to heaven. That it's by grace that we're saved. That we have to come to God and humble ourselves and admit that we're sinners. And because of our sin, it separates us from God. And the only way that we can have salvation, the only way we can have assurance that we're gonna go to heaven is by coming to the cross and kneeling at the cross and saying, Forgive me for my sins and I thank you for the finished work of Christ on the cross, dying for me, shedding your blood to pay for my sins. And when we accept that gift and ask for forgiveness and are willing to turn away, repent of our sin and seek after God, then he will transform us. He will begin with the new nature within us and one day give us a resurrected body just like Jesus Christ. That's how the perishable puts on the imperishable. That's how the mortal puts on immortality, by trusting in Christ as your savior. Hebrews 2 has a strong word on what Jesus did on that cross. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus walked up to Satan when he rose from the dead and he took the keys of death away from him. He took the power of Satan and the power of sin away from him. And he gives us the ability to overcome it and the resurrection power through the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And the exciting thing is that one day we will possess a resurrected body that will be ageless and void of death. As I read Randy Alcorn's book last summer for uh, the message series on heaven He talked about debate. You know, when we die here in the church age and our souls go to heaven, is there just a spirit there until our bodies that are resurrected join us? Or is there a temporary body that we will have until our resurrected body will join us? We don't know, but it's an interesting thought. But in some capacity, we will be in heaven at that point. And at some point, we will have the full resurrected body. It's interesting to think of people buried at sea or cremated. That at some point, God's going to bring all those pieces together and recreate your body to be just like Jesus. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection provided all of us who are Christ followers a jailbreak. We're free from the bonds of sin. We're free from Satan. If we'll yield to the power of the resurrection and the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives and allowing the Holy Spirit to take hold. Death for the Christ follower is the ultimate healing in our elder deacon training the other night, we talked about James five, praying for the sick, anointing the sick, praying for healing. The ultimate healing is when we get to heaven and we have an ageless body that will be eternal. Death for the Christ followers is the greatest joy of all. In Psalm 1611, the psalmist said, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, God, there's fullness of joy at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore hard for us to imagine that, isn't it? Pleasures forevermore. Death for the Christ follower will bring rewards based on what we did for Christ here on planet Earth. And first Corinthians three talks about that. Through the New Testament, we see the different crowns that are available to everyone who are believers in Christ. And then under this next point, death brings hope in the midst of grief to the Christ follower experiencing death and their family. Death brings hope in the midst of grief to the Christ follower experiencing death and their family experiencing that same death as well. Take your Bible. We're gonna look at another passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Whenever I do a funeral service, 99.9% of the time, when we get to the graveside, I usually read this passage of scripture because of what it says in verse 17. And also as it describes what's gonna happen to that body, that casket or the cremated remains when we place them in the ground or whatever the family decides to do with the cremated remains. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul said, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep. In other words, those who've died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep for this we declare to you by the word from the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, who've already died in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And then verse 18 says, therefore encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. As we face death, as we have loved ones who face death, these are words of encouragement that we could hold on to, that there's hope beyond the grave. That while we stand at the graveside and grieve, we know that that person is with Jesus and with those who have gone before. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses three through four, Let's read these scriptures off the screen together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Isn't that great? God is the God of all comfort. And when he takes us through the valley of death, and he's with us, it becomes an opportunity that when somebody else is going through that, we can minister to them. Because with the comfort that God has placed in our heart as we've grieved and lost loved ones, we can share that comfort with them as well. Great passage to hold on to. As Vice President George Herbert Walker Bush, who was the Vice President under Ronald Reagan, he represented the United States at the funeral of former Soviet leader Leonid Brezhnev. Bush was deeply moved by a silent protest carried off by Brezhnev's widow. She stood motionless by the coffin until seconds before the lid was closed. Then just as the soldiers touched the lid of the casket, Brezhnev's wife performed an act of great courage and hope, a gesture that must surely rank as one of the most profound acts of civil disobedience ever committed. She reached down, made the sign of the cross on her husband's chest. There in the citadel of secular atheistic power, the wife of the man who'd run it all hoped that her husband was wrong. She hoped that there was another life and that life was best represented by Jesus who died on the cross and that same Jesus might yet have mercy on her husband. People are always looking for comfort in death for their loved ones. Here's the application. How will this theology of death impact your life this very week? How will it make you think about life differently? How you go about your day? I hope you think about that this week. Our next point here is that how should you and I view death from a Christian perspective? In the 21st century, how should we, as Christ followers, view it? First of all, live in light of your inevitable death. Live in light of your inevitable, inevitable death. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, a verse that comes to my mind often throughout the week. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one will receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Now listen closely. For many years, I thought that we as Christians, we would be judged for our sins. And it wasn't until... Someone shared the word with me and showed me that that's not true. We are not going to be judged for our sins as believers in Christ because the blood of Christ has already washed us and cleansed us. Well, what will we be judged on? Our motives for serving him, our actions, and Matthew says our words, what we say. And so one day, each of us, by ourselves, if you're a Christ follower, is going to stand before God, and you're going to have to give an account of your life, and that's a sobering thought. So live a life with the knowledge that you will give that account before the one who's heard all of our words and who knows all of our actions. It makes you think about how you spend your time, your money, how you use your talents and your spiritual gifts, doesn't it? And then live with the view that ministry is more important than life. Live with the view that ministry is more important than life. We see that through people who've had their lives cut short because of martyrdom, because they stood for the word of God, for Jesus Christ in Muslim countries and other places in China and around the world. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul said, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, according to Ephesians 4, it's true that pastors and elders are supposed to train people to do the ministry. And all of us, we're responsible to be carrying out ministry because God has given each of us unique uh, a gift pack of spiritual gifts to fulfill what he wants us to do and how he's created us uniquely. But we are to have the lifestyle of making Christ known and serving the needs of others, whether you're an engineer, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a bricklayer whether you're an electrician, we aim at advancing other people's faith and holiness in order to glorify God. And when it really comes down to it, doing the ministry that God has given it to us is more important than life itself, if we're honest. The point is, there's no retirement in the Bible from serving him, making him known, or serving others as long as we're able. The end of our life is in God's hands, and we're to let him decide what is our last act of ministry here on this earth. Henry Martin said, if God has worked for me to do, I cannot die. If God has worked for me to do, I cannot die. As my pastor used to say, that you're indestructible until the day God calls you home, and that's the truth. And then we live by preparing for your future departure from this life, especially those of us who are getting older to think about your legacy? What is it you wanna leave behind for your family, for your closest friends to remember the most? Hopefully you're passing on the baton of faith to kids and grandkids and great grandkids. Hopefully you're teaching them lessons of character. And then the other idea would be to write down your life story. Recently, my son Daniel gave Diane and I these books about writing out stories about your life so that it can be something that they can have and keep for them to read even after you're gone. What about your financial inheritance? Are you making provision for those that will be left behind? There's a great tool that I haven't used yet, I hope to, it's called Legacy Box, you've probably heard about that. Take all your videos and your photos and send them off and preserve them in some kind of format that will last on forever. In Second Chronicles chapter 21, verse 20, this verse talks about Jehoram. He was a wicked king. He had a reign of terror as the king of Israel. He killed his brothers and leaders because he was insecure of his power. And then he led Israel into idol worship. Notice what was said of him when he died and he departed with no one's regret. They had to pay people to mourn at his death. How can I pass my faith on to my kids, grandkids, great-grandkids? How can I be intentional? There's a great resource out there with the Legacy Coalition, and they have on Monday night, Grandparent Night, and it's a night where they have a one-hour video, a Zoom kind of thing, you just go into the link and you get to have someone share with you some ideas and thoughts how you can intentionally pass on your faith or pass on character or, Share life lessons to great, great resource, the Legacy Coalition for Grandparents. Well, have a will or trust that's up to date. Make it simple for your family to take care of your business. My wife and I have just experienced uh, being an executor in four estates, and we've learned a lot about what well, we're gonna simplify. <laughs> I could tell you that, and we've really made it pretty easy for our kids. Make known your wishes for a funeral. It's important to tell people what you would like at your funeral. I love it when someone hands me someone's Bible, and they see how they marked it up. Or they tell me their favorite passage of scripture that they'd like to have heard, or their favorite songs, or whatever it is. Um, The question is, do you want to be buried or cremated? Those are good things to share with your family ahead of time so that there's not this emotional back and forth with the family. Let your wishes be known. And then live so that when death comes you can accept it with joy grace and hope joy grace and hope in second corinthians 5 8 it says yes we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and a home with the lord we will experience a profound sense of being at home when we get to heaven and home is a place where you can go and just relax you can just be yourself you can let your hair down and you feel secure, you feel loved. And that's what heaven is gonna be like and I hope that we long for it, long for it more than our comfortable place here on earth. My life verses are Philippians 1, 20 through 21. These became my life verses back in graduate school. Paul said, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but with full courage Now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Isn't that the goal? Shouldn't that be the goal of our Christian life? Whether we live or die, we magnify the Lord. And if we die, we gain. Your desire to go to heaven ought to be first and foremost the desire to see Jesus face to face, your personal savior, the one who is willing to wrap himself in human flesh, to come and live among us, to die on a cross. And when you see his nail-pierced hands and his nail-pierced feet, and you think about the blood that was shed for your salvation, when your faith becomes sight, what a joy, what an amazing time that will be. And seeing Jesus will be more important than all the amenities of heaven, more important than seeing your loved ones who've gone on before, not that we won't look forward to that, It's all good, but many people don't really wanna go to heaven to see Jesus. They just wanna avoid hell and not be alone for eternity. But the Psalmist said in Psalm 116, 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. As we leave planet earth, we have God who's ready to welcome us in, to welcome us home. They're on the other side, looking forward to seeing us face to face. We'll be bitter but sweet when it comes time to cross over that river into eternity. Most people surveyed, as we said, they'd rather die a sudden death without pain and suffering, and that's hard on the family, but for the individual, that is the way to go. But God doesn't want grant that wish on most people. He gives them time to get their affairs in order, to talk with their family and their loved ones as they go through that process of death, to share what's meaningful to them and how much they love each one of their children and their grandchildren, the lessons that they've learned spiritually and to glorify God with a positive attitude through suffering. This would not be our wish or desire, but sometimes it's God's will and the way of accomplishing the most glory for His name. The application here is how can we live in such a way to have no regrets and magnifying our Lord in life and death? How do we live a no regrets life? How do we work toward coming to the end of our life when we say we have magnified, we've glorified Jesus Christ. Our key thought here is this. The sobering reality of death should cause Christ followers to set goals and priorities today that will prepare them for their graduation to heaven. And that's what it should be all about. As we think about the end of life, we should back up and set goals and priorities that daily we work toward that when we get to that place, we can look back and we see that God helped prepare us for that graduation to heaven. Remember that quote at the beginning that I shared, remember that you will die, a slave whispering in the ear of a victorious Roman general as he returned home in triumphal procession. My hope as we conclude this message is this, the importance of living well so we will die well and go into the arms of Jesus for all of eternity. The importance of preparing well for the time of your death and for your family in the aftermath of your demise. The importance of having a funeral or celebration of life. It's important for the family, for friends. Family and friends need some type of closure. And I'm finding as a pastor and talking to funeral directors, less and less people are having funerals. Uh, They're just going on with life after it's over. And it leaves people feeling unfulfilled and incomplete And the more personal a person can make their wishes known for the service, the better. One of the ladies at my church in Illinois, when I was there, she made it clear to me on several occasions that when I die and that we have the funeral dinner in the Fellowship Hall, there must be plates of Fannie Mae candy on the table because that's what I like. And when we had Ken Ross' funeral, we had Mountain Dew down there because that's what he wanted. Those are the kind of things that are meaningful to families for memories. Grief groups are invaluable. Grief grief share at Christ Family Church. Some of you have been through that, for example, is great. Check in on family members. A couple weeks after a funeral, many people get back to their routines and forget this person is still grieving and missing terribly their family member. COVID has changed the landscape in many ways on how we view death. Sad to say there've been so many, as I said, who've died alone. But once again, the world needs what only Christianity offers, the promise of resurrection, a guide to lead us through the gates of death, a world beyond this one in which all that is sad is made untrue and a hope that cannot be shaken by the circumstances of this world. I close with this illustration. Many of you played this game Monopoly, right? Many times. I used to play it a lot, but now it takes too long to play, but now they got these shorter versions, right? But John Ortberg, he was a pastor in Menlo Park Presbyterian Church in California. And he tells a story that when he was a young boy, six or seven, he played Monopoly with his grandmother, and she'd win every time. And finally, when he was 10 or 11 years old, he finally beat her, and he ran around the house saying, I'm a millionaire, I bankrupted my grandmother, I made, I won, I got everything. And she just calmly let him celebrate for a little while, then she came back and said, Johnny, I want you to come over here. He says, I want you to understand one thing about Monopoly. He says, all those hotels, those houses, those deeds, they all get folded up and put into a box. And you know, that's how life is. Because when we come into this world, we come in with nothing, and we come to the end of life, and we're gonna be put into a box. And that's all that we will have. And so as we think about that and think about our lives, Think about what God says about death. May it have an impact on how you live your life this week. As we close today, I just encourage you, if you don't know Christ the Savior, if you don't have that assurance of your salvation, 1 John five thirteen said, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life by believing on the Son, Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, it's just a matter of admitting that you're a sinner, admitting that you can't work your way into heaven doesn't matter how many church services you've been, in, been at or how much offering money you've put in or perfect attendance in Sunday school, God says you've got to trust in what Jesus did on the cross by grace that we're saved, not by works. And when we ask Christ to forgive us of our sin because of what he did for us on the cross, and we ask him into our heart, he will forgive us and cleanse us from our sin and give us that hope and that promise of eternal life. I'm fully confident that if I walked across the street today and got hit by a car, God forbid that doesn't happen, that I'll be in the presence of Jesus if I die. I hope you have that assurance today. And if you don't, please see myself or one of the elders and we'd love to sit down and share with you and pray with you about this. Let's bow for prayer. Father, this is not a subject that we like to think about very often. We like to think about life. We think, like think about our vacations, our fun times, our joys in this life, and rightly so, because you promised to give us abundant life here on this planet. In First Timothy, you tell us to enjoy the pleasures of your creation, and so we shall. But Lord, help us to also be mindful that we will give an account for our lives. And Lord, that we can show people Christ even through our suffering and even through our death and through the celebration of life that occurs after we pass on. Lord, help us to be mindful and think about that as we live our lives in the fear of the Lord and the idea that one day we're gonna account for what we do. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name, amen.